Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of No Filter Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Page. Joined, as always, by Danny McLean and by our ace producer, Brandon McAfee. So, um, no one was voted, as all of you know by now, into the Hall of Fame this year and balloting that was announced Tuesday. And I thought that was good. If you don't deserve to get in, you don't, you don't have to have somebody go in every year. The last time the Baseball Writers Association of America didn't vote in any players was in 2013. This is also the first time since 1960 there were no new Hall of Fame members in a single year, according to the Baseball Hall of Fame website. Now, three of those names, I know you guys want to hear what Denny has to say about this. We're coming right up on him. And Brandon, too, because Brandon, as a young man, has his own opinions. Now, three of the names back on the ballot included, again, as you know, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Kurt Schilling. All three now have one year left of eligibility, but Schilling pouting, I'm going to take my football and go home, says he doesn't want to be on the ballot next year. He says he wants to wait till he goes to the Veterans Committee, guys who, quote, know what they're doing. So one guy who knows what he's doing is Tom Gage, the longtime Detroit Tigers beat writer for the Detroit News and a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame himself in the writer's wing. And Tom is coming up on the show later on. You won't want to miss this. We'll hear what he has to say about the baseball writers balloting. Denny, let's go first with you. What do you have to say about it? Well, off the top, I mean, it's just a shame that uh, some of these great players, Bonds, Clements, uh, Roland, Wagner, Helton, and Sheffield, just to name a few, all of them are stars. I mean, serious stars, and they're not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, the ones that I feel bad about, and believe me, I, I don't have any uh, love relationship with any of the three I'm going to name, but Bonds, Clemens, and uh, Wagner. Schilling. Kurt Schilling. Schilling, too. I mean, they should be in the Hall of Fame. Oh, so, so, you, so if you had a vote, you would have put them in despite Bonds and Clemens' drug use, despite the fact that they cheated. You would have put them in. See, I think they're not handling the Hall of Fame the way it should be handled. I think, number one, they make a mistake every, when they do these things when they don't put anybody in. It takes away from the integrity of the Hall of Fame. It's a bad look. Yeah, I agree with you. For a and, sport that's already struggling with their fans and right? struggling to bring, you know, this is stupid. To me, it's the writers being kind of elite in one way, shape, or form and saying, I know right. what's best for baseball. It's, yep. it's stupid. And, and, you know, most I'm it, sorry, boys, and especially you, Brandon. You guys cheated. That's how you put up those numbers, Barry Bonds. Okay. You cheated. You disgraced yourself. You disgraced your family. You disgraced the game of baseball, the great game okay. of baseball. Right. You don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Sure. How do you fix it? You don't. Do you? They, 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 you don't. You leave them out. Daddy. What do you do that's, with all the people exactly who are already in that it. cheated? Huh? You keep them in? They're already there. Okay. Pudge okay, Rodriguez. Okay, start, na point. start naming other guys who were proven to have been cheaters. And you can start with Pudge Rodriguez. What do you mean prove you it? Want, I mean, but they never proved it. You know, Roger Clemens never failed a drug test once. Nor did his wife. <laughs> so prove him. I, I'm, I'm, it's, I just think it's stupid. I, no, I, I look understand at it. it. Listen, I'm on your team here. The um, uh, Babe Ruth and everybody else uh, who played back in the day and the day and the day. Uh, they all did crazy things, uh, you know, whether you believe it or not. I, and I do believe it because my father-in-law said he saw it. Uh, uh, -huh. uh, uh, Ty Cobb used to uh, sharpen his spikes so he could make everybody understand he wanted to go to second base. And technically go wasn't illegal. 
Well, you know what, Bob? It, it wasn't illegal, no. But there's no rule in the book that says it's not illegal. I mean, when you're going after somebody with a weapon, that's okay, kind I of see what I'm right. saying. I don't think, unfortunately, uh, I don't think, unfortunately, I ever had the great pleasure of meeting your father-in-law, the great Lou Boudreau. But my guest is Denny, and you were so intimate with him, you knew him so well. Is if Boudreau were alive today, he would not want Clemens, Bonds, or other cheaters no, in the Hall of Fame. You're absolutely right. Jeez. Everybody on their right. high I mean, horse here over here. Everybody cheats in one way, shape, or form. If you're not cheating, you ain't winning. Especially at the time when these guys are using substances that were not illegal yeah. until after they discovered they were using them. And then all of a sudden they're illegal. And you had 14 different writers, 14, uh, send in a blank ballot. 14 people didn't put vote for a single person. That's stupid. They didn't feel anybody was worthy of election, Brandon. Mm, That's right. why they did it. Yeah. So it's let's doing talk great about, things okay, for baseball, okay. too. Okay, let's talk about Schilling then, okay? In your heart of hearts, and, we, and, and you saw Kurt Schilling pitch a lot, Brandon. Uh, the other guys, not so much, maybe, but some of the other guys. But in your heart of hearts, is Kurt Schilling a Hall of Fame pitcher? I saw Denny McLean. Kurt Schilling couldn't hold Denny McLean's jockstrap. Denny was a Hall of Fame talent. I saw Bob Gibson. I saw these guys. Denny, Kurt Schilling, a Hall of Fame pitcher? Absolutely. I okay, Brandon. So. I think he's uh, – okay. I, I don't think that he overwhelmingly gets in, but I think he gets in. Okay. Uh, he, he's accomplished everything that a pitcher sets out <laughs> we're, we're to talking, accomplish. We're talking four World Series. We're talking yeah. a, a World Series MVP, uh, uh, an NLCS MVP. This guy's won over 20 games multiple times. He he's, he's also has lore, the bloody sock game. That's right. history. And so, okay. let me. I want to get into this with Tom Gage. I can't wait to hear what he has to say about all this. So I want to ask you guys one more question about this. Kurt Schilling, basically, we all know this, is an idiot. He's a far right wing conspiracy Okay, because theorist. you don't agree with okay. his politics, you're going to want right. to keep that's him what I mean. That's, that's, that's what I'm stupid. asking you, Brandon. That's stupid. Do you, do you think this is part of the reason he hasn't been elected? He hasn't done yes. himself any favors Absolutely. whatsoever on social media. You know, in his business dealings, he's he's failed with that video game crap that, that just, you know, crashed and burned. And and yes, he does. He does tend to pop off quite a bit on his political views, but I don't think that should ever prevent. No, I agree with you. It shouldn't anybody. But from do you getting think in. it did? Oh, do of you course think it, it did? does. Of course it does. It people does. go people go insane about their politics, and if you don't believe yeah. the same way I do, even if I vote for the MLB Hall of Fame, I'm not letting you in. It's ridiculous. The guy was a Cy Young candidate multiple times, finished second in Cy Young voting three times. He was an All Star multiple times. This is stupid. It's dumb. Okay. I mean, I've been around the writers and the players for a long time doing these shows that we do uh, year round. And I can tell you, it's been a long time since I've run into somebody that's holding up a cheering rag for shilling. I mean, he has no, he has no favor with anybody out there. It's you mention his name. You start, they start off with MF. I mean, that's not. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Saturday morning. Very interesting. But, well, he's we're done have... it to him, but he's done it to himself, Bob. He's yeah, done okay. it still shouldn't keep him okay. out of the Hall of Fame. He deserves okay. to yeah. be there. Okay, we agree on that. And we're going to have so much more. Uh, meanwhile, while you two freeze your butts off up there in my hometown of Detroit, yeah, here in Florida, here in Florida, preparations continue for the Super Bowl. Now, I want to get your guys' opinion on this, too. I, I did think about this on Sunday watching the conference championship games, but we didn't get to it on our last show. And again, I want to bounce it off you. I wondered if 
in his heart of hearts, which he would never reveal to another human being, whether Bill Belichick was rooting for Green Bay or Tampa to win the NFC championship. I presume he isn't so bitter that he didn't watch the games. So Tom Brady's father took a little bit of a dig at Belichick in an interview with Boston Herald this week. He said, quote, I'm guessing he's on a little bit of a hot seat right now. See all the speculation over the years about the Patriots' unbelievable success. Was it mainly Tom Brady? Was it mainly Bill Belichick's coaching genius? Or was it a combination of both? Well, in their first year apart, after 20 years together, we know where Brady is. We know the Patriots were seven and nine this year. Brady Sr. talked glowingly in this interview with Robert Kraft, the owner who reached out to Brady after his NFC Championship triumph Sunday at his son's. He conspicuously did not mention Bill Belichick. Guys, what do you think? You think Belichick wanted well, Brady tell to you win? One thing. Um, I'm sure that Belichick pulled for him. I mean, I don't think Belichick would pull against Tom. Hmm. Okay. Brandon? I believe that it was a combination of both of them. You have a fantastic quarterback. You have a fantastic coach. They just so happen to have a fantastic owner who let the football guru take charge and build his team. It's, it's an interesting topic. Now, you may not know this. Bill Belichick was a gopher on the Lions coaching staff in 1974, the first year I started covering the team. We are exactly the same age. I didn't know him. I didn't even know of him. Who did it well, that I time? I didn't know him either. Okay, so when Bill started having all the success in New England after being fired as head coach in Cleveland, it seemed Belichick started to take himself real seriously. You saw his interviews, if you can even call them that with the media, how disdainful he was of reporters, how brief and condescending he always was to what were good and legitimate questions at news yeah. conferences. So I wonder if Bill would cop the same attitude now. And speaking of Mr. Kraft, boys, the Patriots owner has gotten a break. Did you see this? And we have gotten a break, too. This is a big topic of conversation on this program and elsewhere. One year ago, Robert Kraft busted in a Korean massage parlor down here in Florida. Now, a federal judge in Florida has ordered the destruction of the videos that shows Mr. <laughs> Kraft paying for massage parlor sex because the Jupiter, Florida police surveillance was deemed unlawful. Kraft's attorneys had argued that the billionaire feared the tapes of him in the nude would be publicized on the internet. Hell with that. We feared that we might accidentally see those tapes of Mr. Kraft in the nude. So well, he got uh, off. I don't know. In more Another ways than one. Does it? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, everybody agreed to do whatever they were doing. Everybody agreed to pay and take money with whatever they were going to do. So what? I mean, it's not exactly going in there and beating somebody up or, uh, you know, trying exactly. to. Exactly. You know, they say, look, it's the prostitution. I, is listen, I believe in massages. I mean, not in <laughs> one of those places. But, well, uh, oh, really? the issue is prostitution is, is a victimless yeah. crime. Unless these women were essentially sex slaves, as some have charged, and they were doing this against their will, they were brought to this country against their will and were sex. Now, that's a whole different thing. And then you can't patronize a place like right. that. But, you know, um, I've, I've mentioned this line uh, before. There's an attorney in New York who always asks the rhetorical question when it comes to people with money. How much justice can you afford? Mr. Kraft can afford a lot of justice. Oh, yeah. And so he got away with it. So uh, Matthew Stafford is still a lion. 
You didn't expect a deal this fast, of course, especially now that Sheila and the FLs have weakened their bargaining position by announcing to the world they're going to trade him. In his latest mock draft, Brandon, you talked about this the other day. Mel Kuyper now has slotted Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields to the Lions with the top choice, number seven overall. But you seem to think that he ain't going to be there. I don't when think Detroit he will drafts. be there. I, I don't know. I think Justin Fields, I think his stock is really high. And to tell you the truth, I could actually even see Jacksonville draft him first overall instead of Trevor Lawrence, though I still will put my money on Trevor Lawrence being the first oh, overall pick. That, that's what they're going to do. Yeah, sure, but still, I could see But you've see got the Ohio happening. State connection. I don't now know. What, what Ohio State quarterbacks, though, what Ohio State quarterbacks succeed in the NFL? Yep. It, it just seems to be like a systematic thing. Washington just dumped a really good one. Couldn't make it. Been a bunch of guys. Yeah, didn't somebody just re-sign him? Where'd Dwayne Haskins just go? Mm, I'm not sure. I see also uh, that now as we record this Thursday morning that Deshaun Watson has stepped forward this very morning and has demanded that Houston trade him. Man, there's going to be a lot of change when it comes to quarterbacks. Man, yeah, yeah, a Dwayne lot of Haskins. quarterbacks dancing, wanting to look for another dance, aren't there? Well, I don't yeah. think it's really up there. Respect, and, 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 so did you see an interesting quote from Jim Ursay, the owner of the Colts, who yep. said, we are looking for a solid veteran quarterback to come in and replace Phillip Rivers. To me, that means Matthew Stafford. But we'll see how this plays out. Yeah, and, and that, was, uh, that was Pittsburgh that Dwayne Haskins ended up going to. But with, with, with the Deshaun Watson, a lot of people will say, why can't you just swap them, Stafford for Watson? I would personally love that because I think Deshaun Watson, you know, this 25-year-old kid, he's yeah. got a lot of potential. I and I, I really like him as a quarterback. That's but a then big again, age he difference, has, Brandon. Eight years 25 to 33, which is what Stafford is. Well, I'm, well, still, he wants you know, out of Houston. He's got to go somewhere. And Deshaun yeah. Watson, uh, or, or, you know, they, they would probably take Matthew Stafford for that. Well, I just, there's I just, one thing here. There's one thing here. You've got to decide as an owner, do you want to try to win this year? Do you want to win next year? Or do you want to win in five years? That's what the owner is going to make. That's the decision he's going to want to make. God, he's even asking Luck to come back and play quarterback. He'd love to yeah, have they him mentioned back that. on the yeah. team. Yeah, so, they mentioned uh, that. You know, he's looking at all the angles, and and I don't think anybody could say he's a, a uh, not a very bright man. I think finishing really my thought on Watson guy. though. He, Watson has a no trade clause, so he, yeah, he basically gets well, he's going to gonna pick, waive that. He just demanded to be traded. I understand that, but that also means he can probably pick and choose where he. Yeah, goes. but you know what? Detroit's a good place for him. I mean, it's such a, if you will, it's such a black city. The city itself, uh, where where African American athletes are treated with love and respect. Respect, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know why he wouldn't want to come to play in Detroit. Detroit would have to sweeten the pot. They're not. It's not going to be an even up deal. They have to throw in draft choices or whatever else. But I like that idea, Brandon. I, I think that's a pretty good idea. I'll tell you why they don't want to come here. It's fifty years of not winning. They don't uh, want to yep. go to a loser. They'd all yep. like good to point. win. Right. I mean, I know, just but right now, for 50 years, give them an opportunity. They're going to give the quarterback an opportunity to go out there and and uh, cut the ball in half and try to win something. So I think everybody should have the opportunity. If you want to do this, then let the whole team have an opportunity. They're trying to have a, an identity change here within the organization. Yeah. Chris Spielman, they've been making all these new hires, all these all this new managerial shifting. And so that to me shows that they're going to be telling these players, look, we're changing the entire atmosphere around here, and, and they will likely 
draft a quarterback in that seven spot, and with there being so many different quarterbacks, they're bound to get somebody. It'd so. Be so much. It would be so much better to get Deshaun Watson and use that pick to get help elsewhere where the FLs desperately need it. All I can do is repeat my mantra: I S W T. In Sheila, we trust. Ah, my girl. I haven't seen what the stock market's doing today. It was way down uh, yesterday, Wednesday. <laughs> up, it's down. Uh, it's, it's so confusing. But uh, if you're confused, too, I got a suggestion for you. Why don't you call Luke Nowacki? Call Luke at Pinnacle Wealth Strategies. Uh, he knows Nobody knows where the market's going for sure, but he's a dedicated professional with a long track record of success. Let Luke plan for your family obligations and your own retirement. Why not let him handle your finances if you're as confused as most of us are? He's going to create a custom solution for you or your business. Here's his number, 248-663-4748. The complimentary consultation might help you learn a lot of things. You're going to talk to him, no charge. And if you feel comfortable, you let Luke do his thing. He'll lay out a plan that fits your individual needs. So again, Luke Nowacki is the man to see, folks. Pinnacle Wealth Strategies. His advisory services are offered through Royal Alliance Associates. Give Luke a call, 248-663-4748. You're listening to the No Filter Sports Podcast. Well, guys, a group of University of Michigan athletes has spoken out against the department's two-week shutdown of all athletic activities. Why did the administration do this? Sources told the Detroit Free Press the outbreak in Ann Arbor traced back to one female student-athlete. She traveled January 3rd from the U.K. to the U.S., according to the Washtenaw County Health Department. So 22 student-athletes at Michigan tested positive for COVID-19 between January 16th and 22nd. So this guy, these kids well, Not only play. that, not only that, but they had it, they had it like a, an alert, of a, a signal today on the morning show on Channel 2, which I seldom watch. Two mornings in a row I've watched it. And this morning they had a, an announcement to make about the spread of the virus over at the university. It's gotten out of hand now. So what did they say? I didn't. I don't they just said it's spread all over the community down there. Yeah, it's, it's been, it, yeah, I understand it's been bad, but but the, the, these kids want to play anyway. And such an Michigan is so much fun to watch the basketball team. Yeah, uh, they're so good. They really have a legit chance to win the national championship. So if I were Juwan with such a red hot and such a fantastic basketball team, I'd be out leading my players in the snow and bitter cold on a bleeping picket line over this. Yeah, but I guess it's just what can they do? And the other thing is um, nobody likes playing outside, but uh, the thing about it is you just can't figure out how many people are going to wind up in the middle of the COVID. I mean, because if it only takes one player, two players, I don't know how they're going to get through the entire season. Well, like everybody's getting shots. Talking yeah. about 162 They'll games. They'll be fine. The vaccinations I just don't think it's going to happen. Out. I don't. Pre President Biden has gone, has come forward, and he really put some of his reputation on the line yeah, by announcing how many millions and millions of vaccinations that we're going to be producing and are going to be given to anybody who wants one. You've right. had one. Eli Zarrett has already had his. Brandon, you said you had yours, right? Hell no. I'm not even close not to being eligible to get okay. one of those. Yeah, because you're too young. I'm those probably not going to get one until 2022 too because this distribution has been a, a laughing stock well you uh, got some, i'm you happy got for some, you guys who got your shots yeah, i ain't got mine well, i, I hey, haven't gotten mine but don't you have some con uh physical conditions 
AIDS, yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to figure <laughs> that one out. Well, it's not a laughing topic. Meanwhile, now my alma mater, and I haven't seen this been canceled yet, but stay tuned. Thursday's gonna be a long day. My alma mater returns after three weeks of not playing. Michigan State, when they supposedly play at Rutgers Thursday night, boy, I got yeah, my that's right. all set to go. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this, and we'll see what happens. Now, they've been trying some... to play that game for months. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it seems like it, doesn't it? So, how about some NBA misadventures with COVID? Now, I haven't seen Atlanta yet this season. Hawks are a decent club, they're around 500, and they were playing the Clippers the other night on TV Clippers are always a fun team to watch because they have two of the greatest players in the world and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So I'm sitting back as they put the starting lineups on the screen in front of me and what neither Kawhi nor Paul George is playing this game. Of course they don't have COVID-19 and it likely wouldn't bother them if they did, let alone kill them, but they were in COVID protocol. So they couldn't play. You know what I did? I hit my clicker and turned the game off Wednesday night. A great matchup between the Lakers and Sixers in Philly. Everybody did play in that one. And at one point, late second quarter, there was a minor collision between LeBron and Joel Embiid. The call was an offensive foul, even though LeBron kind of took a dive on the floor to sell it. Taped, taped, did you watch this? Taped booze flooded the empty arena in Philly, (laughs) leading my former colleague at MSG in New York, Mike Breen, to exclaim, quote, and there were fake booze from the fake crowd. End quote. LeBron finished 34, got in trouble later on with a cheap shot. He took at MD where he probably should have been kicked out, knocked him to the court. Apparently, Embiid's okay. Bron put up a season-high 46 in his hometown of Cleveland Monday night. And now tonight, as we record this, or Thursday night, he comes to an empty Little Caesars arena in Detroit after what was the Lakers' first road loss all season. Join me in saying, boys, ruh <laughs> I don't think I, I just don't think the Lakers are, are going to be too happy coming in or looking to lose two in a row. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm always disappointed by the Pollyanna nature of most of the Detroit sports media. Free press headline from Tuesday, quote, Delon Wright is aggressive in Pistons. Big win, a big win after somehow defeating the Sixers. They were four and 13 worst record of the entire NBA. But since it was a big win, according to the free press, I guess it's on to the NBA playoffs now, baby. Whoops, hold the phone, though. The Detroit News headline Thursday morning, veterans a silver lining in turnover heavy loss to the Cavs. Brandon, sorry, pal. I know you don't dig him. The only veteran who mattered Wednesday night's loss to a mediocre Cavs team at Cleveland was former Piston Andre Drummond, whom the team foolishly traded away to Cleveland last year. He scored 23 points and took down 16 rebounds. Did you like that? I don't know why you're you're always going to bat for Andre Drummond. There's already speculation that they're going to ship him to the Nets. Come on now. He's liable to come back here. Stop Are they tra- they're talking about trading Kyrie, Andre. aren't they already? Are they talking about trading Kyrie? In that deal? I've heard that. I doubt that. I highly doubt that. I don't know. I'm not sure. I just don't I just don't don't know why you want to just keep dying on this. (laughs) I think he's a tremendous talent, and he's proven he's a tremendous talent. Now let let me ask both of you guys this. You you watch the Pistons, I think you both do, uh, or more likely as an 
is the case with me. You, you, you just look at the box scores, if you want, after their latest loss. Yeah. And you always see that free agent signee Jeremy Grant has had another good game leading the team in scoring. He had 26 Wednesday night in loss. So I'm wondering, other than money, which you could have gotten anywhere, why would he or anybody want to spend brutal winters in Detroit and play for the Pistons? I mean, I wonder if if Grant's wondering that now too. His I don't know why you're always. You are just so focused on the weather. I'm an old man who's retired in Florida. Damn it! Okay, you get to be an old man. You're going to be retired in Florida too. Well, you're not a 28 year old healthy athlete who would love to make the most (laughs) money they possibly could. I'm telling you, Detroit is not a bad destination for basketball. Detroit, they have they have a history of championships. They have a history of the going to work team. I'm 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 telling you, people look back at that and they think very highly of that. And the bad boys have already planted their legacy in NBA history. So there's I don't think people look at Detroit Pistons and go, oh, we can't go there. <laughs> no way. Hey, listen, it's not the Minnesota know, Timberwolves. We know what the city of Detroit is. We've, we've all been here a long time. We've all been a part of the community. We didn't give for up a on it time. like you did, Bob. We know what the hey, city you, is like. You young whippersnapper, you bleeping wise ass. Hello. You wait till you get to be you wait till you get to be in your sixties. I'm not quite 70 yet. See where you're living someday. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna say something. We know how good the city is. We know how good the fans are. We know how good the city in general rises to the occasion all the time. So we know that. These guys who we want to come to the city of Detroit and play, they don't. They know nothing about the city. Very seldom do they know anything about it. So their first answer is somebody said, hey, listen, I got a great deal for you in Detroit. Uh Uh-uh. No, send me to Cleveland. But don't send me to Detroit. And that's well, what it comes down. Yeah, with, with the Pistons, uh, I saw an article on CNBC's website the other day about how the NBA is looking to looking into allowing private equity firms to buy into league franchises. Yeah, Owners have approved the plan. That, I guess you read this, Denny. The way yeah. it works, the NBA rounds up stakes in clubs and sells them to private equity firms who can right. technically sell the limited partnerships to private investors. And I guess the further thinking is the NBA franchises are skyrocketing in value, and, and it's just too expensive for most mere mortals to buy so in 2014 do you remember how stunned everybody was when detroit native steve balmer the microsoft billionaire and i see he's now ranked the 19th richest person in the world paid two billion dollars to buy the bleeping clippers he could sell for a lot more today the Pistons have to be worth a feces load of money. Tom Gorris bought a the team feces in 2011. Load of money? I can't say the oh. S word. You know that. Well, you can um, say, you know, know, lots of apples. Yeah, that just makes more work for Brandon. He has to bleep me. I try okay. not to make more work for Brandon. Sorry, Brandon. So at any rate, so in 2011, Crane's Business Detroit Magazine trumpeted in blazing headlines that Gorris had gotten a, quote, shocking bargain on the Pistons paying just $325 million for them. And they were right. Two years ago, the Pistons, I read, were valued at $1.1 billion, And it's higher than that now. Now, Eli, you regular listeners know, used to rip Goris regularly when he was still with us uh, on the show. And I think partly, that was partly, frankly, because Goris fired him as TV sideline reporter when Tom <laughs> bought the team. Personal. I think it was part of it. But Eli yeah, that was, was right. part of it. Yeah, but Eli was right in the sense that the Pistons have been pretty much a joke under Tom Gorris, and he was right when he said that Gorris needs to sell the team to somebody who knows what to do with a pro sports franchise. Then again, 
I've been saying that about the FLs for 40 years on radio and TV. And for some reason, the Ford family has just never listened to me. Don't forget that they he bought this basketball team for the investment, not that it's going to win a championship. I yeah, mean, I and then I... right away, what happens is he gets in there and all kinds of money all of a sudden is available. He's able to do whatever he wants. Yeah. He's he got the franchise now is worth several billion dollars, and it's probably going to get bigger, yeah. just like you said about the plan that they're developing. And that's, I'll tell you, that's genius. I mean, to pull pieces out of the, the uh, companies and, and give everybody a piece here and a piece here and a piece here. That's uh, Are you talking boy, like that's a, Green Bay a lot Packers? of money. Are you talking like a green Bay Packers ownership type situation where the fans own the team? No, that's it. This no, wouldn't be no we're talking fans. about major be, players. Yeah. And Danny, I want to take issue with you about what you just said, it, because it's something that I've talked about and said many times uh, on the air over the many years. When you look at these professional sports owners, they're already billionaires. Okay. Yeah. So it's not about, Oh boy, I can make another $500 million if I only buy a pro sports team. The problem is these guys, when they step off their private Learjets onto the tarmac, they got everything in the world. They got homes all over the world. They got the most beautiful women you could ever imagine. The only thing they don't have is celebrity. Nobody knows who the hell they are. How do you get to be a celebrity? You buy a pro sports team. Folks, a show of hands, please. How many of you had ever heard of Michigan native Tom Gorris until he bought the Detroit Pistons. Hey, he's a superstar now. Signs autographs wherever he goes. I'll take you a step further. I didn't even know about him when he bought it. I just found out about him when I realized, who's this drunk guy throwing T-shirts on the court? Oh, it's the new (laughs) owner, Tom Gorris. Oh, okay, okay. And then there were some funny stories about his family, too. Yeah, Denny, you're a a career baseball man. Had you ever heard the name George Steinbrenner before he bought the New York Yankees? Of course you hadn't. No, but that goes. Yeah, I, but I, that's I, what I mean. They buy, you yeah, buy celebrity. I, it goes back. George, what? He got the club in what? The late 60s yeah. or 70s, yeah. something like that. Yeah. These, these guys are superstars yeah. now. Robert yeah. Kraft, Arthur Blank. Did you know he was the guy behind Home Depot? Yeah. You do now. He sure. bought the Atlanta Falcons. That's how you become a celebrity. You buy a pro sports franchise, and that's what's at work here. Not the fact that they're like, oh, I, I want to make some more money. I always always get a charge out of the fact that a guy buys a sports team and all of a sudden they ask him to be on this financial board, this financial board, this financial board. They don't understand that it was his investments that he got from his people who advise him. I mean, it wasn't exactly like he was sitting there with a pencil and an adding machine and coming up with the answers to uh, make his franchise now $2 billion plus. Well, the fact that they do make money is just, you know, icing on the cake. Uh, We're we're talking about uh, all this money here. Uh, Danny and Brandon and I want to say, again, a big thank you to Hall Financial for being such a great supporter of this show and all the shows on Drew Lane's Red Shovel Network, of which we are proud to be a part. We've been telling you for some time now, that mortgage interest rates are in the twos. You got a mortgage on your place? If you do, and you're not happy with the rate, you want to call Hall Financial today and find out how much refinancing your mortgage can save you every month when you write those checks or go online and click to pay. You click the Hall Financial link. It says on our website, nofiltersportspodcast.com. It's going to get you started. Or if you want, just give them a call. It's such an easy number to remember. 248 308 
5,000. You'll find out how quick and easy the haul process is. And when you do, you make sure you tell them that No Filter Sports Podcast with Eli Zara, Denny McLean, and Bob Page sent you. You're listening to the No Filter Sports Podcast. Let me give you a little information for the Super Bowl also. Uh, okay. $9,400 is the latest bid on tickets. 9400 for a ticket. Uh, $8,000 is the next lowest. And uh, it's just crazy. They don't know where this is going to end, although we're getting closer to the game now. Uh, so I suspect that $10,000 is going to wind up being the money if you, you see, really want to go. I, I would think it would be the cheapest possibly ever. Who the hell's going to want to travel? Who Isn't the hell's going to want to go yep. into it? You know, uh, yeah, 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 that's a good point, Brandon. And Denny, I don't have any reference for that. What, what do tickets usually sell for for Super Bowls? Is it a lot more than $9,000? No. Is this a high number, $9,400? They'll, they'll have some upfront. Uh, number uh, tickets for thousands of dollars, but not eight, nine, ten thousand dollars. Well, but again, I'm asking you: is that a low figure or a high figure? Nine thousand dollars? No, it's it's a high figure. It's a high really? figure. Yeah, okay. it's a high figure. No, right, well, I don't, we'll I don't, I don't see why anybody would want to go. It just doesn't seem you know, the, the presentation at home in your living room is so much better. I guess maybe if you want to see whoever's performing at halftime show, but. Well, you know what? I think this time, this may be the best year to ever go to a real Super Bowl Why? live because there's only 23,000 people that's going to be in the ballpark, more or less. That's it. So you and won't you have know, to worry it, it, about that make it better? a seven-foot guy and worried about him reading his scorecard for uh, four hours. Yeah. Here, here's another reason, Denny. It, you're going to have to help me uh, as an old man now get this through Brandon's thick young head. When we get finished taping this show, Brandon, I want you to go upstairs at your lovely abode, look outside, and I'm sure there must be, what, two, three feet of snow on the ground, and it's no, 19 inches, degrees. Five or six inches. a half inch. That's why you want to go to the Super Bowl in Tampa, Florida. Oh, it was 83 here yesterday in South Florida. Weather. Jesus, weather controls your life, man. Yeah, it does. Well, it does. <laughs> You'll find out, too, when you get older. Your bones start to creak, you know. I'm telling you. And we have a lot of transplanted Detroiters listening to us right now who are living in Arizona or are living in Florida. Brandon, you just feel better when the skies are blue, it's warm, and the sun is shining. You really do. You just feel better. Home so anyway, is where you I, make it, Bob. <laughs> anyway, I, I, here's, here's something else for you guys, another subject that we've talked about. And you guys know so much more about this subject than I do. Uh, to help its network TV partners overcome losses due to COVID-19, Major League Baseball has granted them permission to use limited sports gambling advertisement spots. Now, they control what ads are aired during baseball games, though there are still restrictions around some sports gambling ads. During the pandemic season last year, in which networks were shortchanged games, MLB approved the ads and helped its partners. Now, the NFL pulled a similar move earlier this month. The league is providing its national media partners more ad slots during its postseason games and in the upcoming Super Bowl. Have you guys noticed this? Sports gambling companies like DraftKings and FanDuel yeah. are spending millions on marketing and TV commercials, one of their best options. But think about, the, I mean, look, the very mention of gambling. You know this, Denny, because you ran into it in your own career. And we remember when Horning and Karras were suspended by the NFL in 1963. The very mention of gambling in professional professional sports was verboten how long till the next gambling scandal erupts in sports it's with coming the way things are going 
It is absolutely coming. You cannot put that much fish on a table and nobody eat it. The people are going to be jumping <laughs> off the bridges eventually to get in position to make an awful lot of money away from the stadium without, without the bookmakers, without the gambling sites. Uh, although, you know, we've all waited for this day and we all hope for this day. And now since it's here, I'm not so excited about it. I, I just take it or leave it. You know, it's, it's not the biggest thing in my life to begin with. And um, it just doesn't ring the bell, I, I think, for a better way to say it. Um, I know a lot of guys, three, four guys that I hang around with, they got excited. I mean, all of a sudden they're going to the bank with their ATM card and they're going over here a couple of hundred, there a couple of hundred. And um, I couldn't believe it. The one guy, I thought he was a Mormon. And, <laughs> he and we don't do religion on this show. <laughs> we all have our okay, so, and he okay, so pulled the, the hell out of me, I'll tell you. All right, so the guys you hang around with, Danny, and Brandon uh, has a lot of young guys he hangs out with. I don't have a lot of male friends, to tell you the truth. And Weird. probably because I do. I don't, well, I don't live in one place. <laughs> okay, you're not surprised by that. All right, fine. But I, I, I will tell you this. I met a guy originally from Michigan who went to Michigan State down here in South Florida a while back, seemingly intelligent, who said this. He thinks that professional sports are fixed. I asked him no, if, he, if he, I asked him if he if he really believed that. I said, "You really believe that pro sports are fixed?" He replied to me, "I know they are." I just oh, walked away. God. I walked away from this guy without a word because I remembered what the late Johnny Orr once said to me, "Bob, life is too short to mess around with a holes." Still. I mean, it seems like pro sports is now courting trouble. That might be one of the reasons why you don't have friends if you're walking away from them without saying a word after they say something to you. Such stupidity, I have no rejoinder for. No, you're right. All professional sports is fixed. I I don't believe that. Such stupidity, I have no rejoinder for. No, I don't believe that. I, I is think there the, an athletes, for that? the athletes are too dedicated to their sport. You can never get people to jump on board with that. Yeah. No way. And why would anybody, you give by up, the way, why would you give up five hundred thousand or ten million dollars or forty million dollars a year? Although of people eventually will. It right. will happen. Okay, and how about this, boys? Uh it seems like pro sports, as you guys say, as Danny, you just said pro sports is courting trouble. Does anybody care about gambling addiction? And the shattered lives this big emphasis on gambling will help create? They won't until the poop hits the fan. And then every if talk show already. in the world yeah. will be talking about this guy or that guy or that group. Uh, it's yeah. going to be uh, it's going to be nauseating. Well, we're already with. seeing it. We're seeing, you know, these ads for all the new places yeah. that have just opened up in Michigan, you know, since last Friday. And then they all end with. If you know somebody who has a gambling problem, dial this phone number. <laughs> That's good. <Yep. laughs> Eli was never very good at reading those those, those quick yeah. uh, uh, addenda to the commercials, if you will. Um, so uh, I got one for you here. I think it's a done deal by now. And Denny, I'm going <laughs> to we'll let you go first. Al Avila busy again, but I don't think the <laughs> bum of the month club this time. Tigers have signed veteran catcher Wilson Ramos. One year, two million bucks upon completion of medicals. I think they've done that now. So he's 33. He's got what they call a slash line. Brandon and his generation are the experts on this. 274, 321, 434 over his 11-year career. Yeah, he's been 128 a good homers, a good 514 ribbies. He's a right-handed hitter, productive against right-handed pitching, known in his career. They say he'll compete with 
Grayson Griner and Jake Rogers for the starting job. Oh, you remember those guys? They were the catchers of the future, Al told us, until each proved that they really don't even belong in the big leagues at all, at least in yeah. my opinion, at least so far. But I, you go, you like this signing, don't you, boys? But if this guy, yeah, he's a veteran, but, but the, uh, outside of him being a veteran, I mean, the other guys can't catch. I mean, he's on his last couple of legs probably getting ready to play this year. Hopefully he's in great shape and he'll come out of the box doing the right thing. But I don't know. It's uh, very difficult to talk about catchers uh, when you haven't really seen them play because they all do kind of the same thing. And um, they catch the balls that you pitchers throw, right? Well, the, the toughest ball is a ball in the dirt. <laughs> and, and that's the way I measure a good catcher. If you can continually stop that oh, yeah. ball that bounces, you're yeah. going to be a pretty good catcher. I like it. I don't yeah. know. I, I like, I like Wilson Rama. I, why not? I, I, yeah, why not? I, I have no expectations for the Tigers this year. He's, no, you know, 32. So, yeah, I, I guess his legs might be going. He has been less productive than he was when he was in Washington. But, right. you know, five years ago, this would have been an excellent signing because he was crushing right. over 20 homers a year and he was hitting over 300. So I think he I don't know. It, it, this one's fine for me. It's it's fine depth. Yeah. But I do agree with the one sense, Bob, where if your expectations were to get Griner and Rogers to be the starter, why wouldn't you just have those two dudes yeah. play and now you're yeah. adding a third one and then of course we yeah. all wish we could have back james mccann who's now with the mets that's one we'd get let get away i still i'll never really there's something else happened with that trade that doesn't make sense i just i don't know how you could let that kid go i have no, no idea We're, yeah now the tigers have this new kid whose name always escapes me they got down to the minor leagues and al assures us this will be the catcher of the future. Think about this. Uh, you look back at your close friend and teammate, Bill Freehan. Yeah. Uh, he's one of a few guys who caught his entire career. You look back at Johnny Bench. You look back at Yogi Berra. Guys who are catchers, when they get into their 30s, boy, that, it takes its toll on them physically, and they shift them to outfield or to third base. Now, Ramos is 33, so I wonder if he can continue to take the punishment behind the plate. It's a beating. I mean, especially when they catch five, six, seven games in a row, it is a beating. Mm -hmm. And uh, as good of shape as Bill Freehand was in, I'm sure he would tell you, hey, listen, I can't do seven games anymore in a row. I oh, can't yeah. do six in a row anymore. Because uh, he was the best in-shape athlete I've ever played with, ever. He That's came to the of course, park guys ready in your to rock were and not roll. Yeah, guys in your era were not generally in great shape. Not generally in great shape. As the guys who were today. serious about the game <laughs> were in good shape. Yeah, well, I'm but, talking about great shape. These all the guys you played so with Denny were slobs. Yeah. They were all fat and slow. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, I was a little surprised the first time I ever walked into the Detroit Tigers locker room uh, as a rookie reporter in 1974, and I saw the burgeoning pot belly on my hero, Al Kaline, and I saw Mickey Lolich, of course, stripped down and what he looked like. So, yeah, it was a whole different thing back then. Um, as, the, uh, as the wings were continuing to flounder, here's a weird story. Did you see this? It just came out on Wednesday. Jimmy Rutherford resigned without a word, the former Red Wings goalie. He in the resigned? Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah. He, I mean, he, so he, as you know, I mean, he led the Penguins to a couple Stanley Cup titles. He just quits Wednesday. He's 71, and he only cited personal reasons in making the decision. Uh, we're going to wait to see what comes out behind this story. I hope Jimmy's health is good. Hope he's okay. Yeah, I do too. Uh, Danny, you clearly implied 
that the big human cockfighting match between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier last Saturday was fixed. Speaking of same, your reasoning, you said, was they deliberately set up a third match between the two after Conor, a big favorite, was stunned. If that's true, looks like McGregor paid a big price for whatever happened. He'd been medically suspended for six months after his UFC 257 defeat. He was spotted on crutches the other day after Mm. he was caught by a series of devastating kicks. And we were right about this. He now wants to meet in a trilogy showdown. Brandon, you excited about that? (laughs) Well, I mean... I think Poirier is going to win again, but it gives them both an opportunity to fight a main card event and get a lot of money. It makes sense. Ton uh, of money. I, yep. I I honestly didn't think McGregor was as big as a favorite as people seem to appear because he hadn't been fighting lately. Meanwhile, this Dustin kid was just rising through the ranks and killing people. So uh, it makes sense if you fought twice and one person has each won once, then you Probably should have a third fight. That way you can always say you were the victor, and then they can each make $50 million more million. Does that indicate that maybe he didn't make as much money as we think he made with his first fight? The guy makes a lot of money each fight. Okay. I just wondered. I, I don't know why he would be fighting again if he made so much money. Hey, Seattle Seahawks backup offensive tackle Chad Wheeler. It's been getting a lot of publicity this week. Even stories on the nightly national TV news, which I've seen, and all for a bad reason. He was arrested early Saturday after allegedly assaulting a woman at an oh, apartment in the Seattle God. suburb of Kent. Now, I bet you guys, even branded the football fantasy player you are, bet most of you guys have not heard of Chad Wheeler before. Well, I sure know who this guy is because he played, and not very well, for the New York Giants from 2017 to 2019. So the police deport- department out there reported details that he was accused of throwing this woman on a bed, strangling her until oh, she lost consciousness, God. and later picking a lock then to get into the door of the bathroom where she was trying to hide and call 9-11. This was the most shocking case of abuse I perhaps have ever seen because here's the main thing I remember about Chad Wheeler. He's six feet nine and weighs oh. 335 pounds. That's oh. what, and I'm thinking to myself watching him play with the Giants. This guy's not that good, but how could you even drive a truck around him on the offensive line? And to do this at 6'9", 335 pounds to a woman? Well, six nine. No matter what he is, hitting a woman is is a no no. I mean, period. a no no period ever. A no no period. His defense and how lame ass is this? He was off his antidepressant medication. Oh. Then again, as Mister Rogers might ask, can you say, roid rage? Not Wheeler's first run-in with the police for a violent incident. In December of 2015, while playing for USC, L.A. police were called to a scene where an under-the-influence Wheeler was punching walls and windows in an apartment. They had to shoot him with, I don't know what these are, uh, with multiple beanbag rounds when he refused to follow their commands. Wow. I don't know. You know, so much about these NFL teams. They draft guys. They vet them thoroughly. I mean... They, they must have just looked at this kid and thought six, nine. Well, you got to wonder how serious what they were shooting at them. How serious is that? Is it really a, a serious weapon? And if did the guy actually back bag. off? Did it's he actually bean... stop? Yes. Yeah. It's it's a beanbag gun. It, you know, it's yeah. just another method. To I, I, don't, I don't know what that is. Down. But listen, I, I must assume our listeners the, don't. The guy is a scumbag. He's an offensive lineman, and so the name Chad Wheeler, you, you don't know it right off your tongue. It's not, it's not like a Ray yeah. Rice where we see the video, plus he's a running back. And so a, a lot of people got upset that right away this guy wasn't getting his comeuppance, but trust me, 
He is. This guy's done with the league. No one's ever going to sign him again. This guy's yeah. toast. His his draw is he's six foot nine. He's unbelievable. Yes. Yeah, he's just he's yeah. just so huge. He's so huge. So just to CNN and the New York Times, speaking of women, constantly look for anything they could use as a criticism of um, Mr. Trump, the right wing New York Post. They're going to be looking for anything they can use to criticize President Biden. So the Post recently wrote about what they feel is an attack being waged by Mr. Biden on girls sports in an editorial. It came down hard on an executive order letting transgender women compete in women's sports. The Post editorialized. It's one thing, after all, to ban discrimination. It's another to tell schools and colleges that trans women athletes, biologically born boys who now identify as female, must be allowed to compete with biological women and girls despite their physical advantages. Boys, go ahead. What do you Mm. think? This is a tough one. Um, Uh, It's not that tough for me. Well, no, I, I, I know that <laughs> the post said, I, uh, the, post said the, no, the notion is patently ridiculous on, and may I've result won- in millions of girls losing out on I prestigious understand. victories. It, and it's scholarships. already begun. There's so many state records that are now held by women who were born male. Yeah. And right. yeah, that to me that what you're doing is you're taking away from the female athlete. Um, well, I think they got to, and I know there's rules against it and laws against it, but I think they've got to divide it up. I mean, you got to let the women play with the women and the men play with the men. I'm sorry. I, I don't see it working any other way. I want to teach Brandon a lesson about this. Okay. His, his, we older guys must teach Brandon being the younger guy he is, but apparently I'm going to have to do so after we break now to say goodbye to our radio audience listening down in Toledo. Thanks so much, guys, for joining us, especially all you great police officers down here. Denny says he knows all you. You listen despite the early morning hour we're on, but don't forget, we got Tom Gage, the Hall of Fame baseball writer, coming up. We got your mailbag coming up, and my lesson I just mentioned on the other side. Go to our website, nofiltersportspodcast.com. Hear the rest of the show, okay, as you can do with every show. You've been listening to the No Filter Sports Podcast. Okay, now give me your lesson because your generation has been so so great with transgender rights. So, Brandon, here we go, Brandon. People my age and Danny McLean's age remember very well the case of Dr. Richard Raskind, an ophthalmologist who was a very good tennis player but had a sex change operation became Dr. Renee Richards. Ever heard right. that name before? Renee right. Richards, yeah. Brandon? Yeah. You have yep. good. The tennis okay. player. Yeah. And all of a sudden, she was a really good woman's tennis player. So this created a firestorm of controversy back in 1976, not to mention lots of fodder for jokes on late night TV show, the Carson show, and so on and so forth. She, Renee Richards, fought to compete as a woman in the 1976 U.S. Open. The United States Tennis Association began that year requiring genetic screening for female players she challenged that policy and the new york supreme court ruled in her favor a landmark case in transgender rights renee richards one of the first professional athletes to identify as transgender then became a spokesperson for transgender people in all sports she retired as a player and you know what she did she coached martina navratilova to two wimbledon championships renee richards is 86 years old now wow and has since she has since expressed ambivalence about her legacy and came to believe her past as a man provided her with advantages over her competitors no saying and i quote having lived for the past 30 years i know if i had had surgery at the age of 22 
And then at 24, went on the tour, no genetic woman in the world would have been able to come close to me. And so I have reconsidered my opinion. And right. you know what? Dr. Richard Raskin, come Renee Richards, six feet, two inches tall. Yeah. Was it fair that he slash she would compete against women? He no. slash she, she now says no. Yeah. And that's the point of this whole transgender no. thing. Absolutely not. That's unfair. Totally unfair. I mean, it's just the biology aspect. That's that's yeah, all it I is. Mean, that's you know, is. besides the biology, it's the competitive nature of it. I mean, he—that's right. I don't think I mean, it's he's going to beat nature. every woman on that uh, on that tour. I don't think that there's a competitive nature issue because I I, I feel like any female could want to win just as much as any male. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. The women want to win just as bad as the men. But the physical, there's just physical differences. That's why when we look yeah. at. All the world records in the world, rarely do you see one where a, a female overpowers or is faster than a male genetically. It's just... It's, I, I, well, there's I a reason it. for it, Brandon. It's because they got smaller feet. Here's another... <laughs> <laughs> Here's another thing, Denny, uh, that you probably remember, and Brandon may not, because it happened a number of years ago. I was fascinated by it. I paid for it. I bought the, the pay-per-view thing when Jimmy Connors played Martina Navratilova. Oh yeah. So, so remember that? So yeah, what sure. they so what they did is 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 Connors allowed Martina to use the entire tennis court for returns. In other words, the doubles court, while Jimmy could only hit balls into the singles court. There may have been some other stipulation about that match. Yeah. But but Jimmy still totally cleaned her clock clean martinez oh, yeah. clock so i mean we, we all understand there are big advantages especially as this relates to the transgender thing i, I well, just i'm interested jimmy to see, was hitting it at 100 miles an hour because this yeah. is going to be coming i'm interested to see when somebody in the wmba or the nwhl which is a new women's female hockey league when we start seeing that 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 person who was born a man and all of a sudden, they're dunking all over these chicks in the WNBA. It's going to happen sooner or later. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, so Eli told me, this is going back a long, long time ago, many years. They used to have these exhibition tennis matches because they didn't have a pro men's tour stop in Detroit. They would have exhibition matches uh, down at the Olympia. And they were looking for, you know, like media celebrity stars uh, uh, to get involved in this thing. I don't think you were involved. I think you were busy doing other things at the time. I was, Denny, was, I was involved. I was involved. With okay, one good. Yeah. So, so anyway, they got Eli to do this. All right. The idea was you go out onto the court and you play against Jimmy Connors, not a match. You just try to return his service. Yeah. So I said, I did. I wasn't there. So I asked Eli later on, I said, yeah, so what's that was like, he says, you can't believe it. He yeah. says, guys, not only hitting a tennis ball, a hundred miles an hour, but just like a pitcher like you, Danny McLean in your heyday, throwing close to hundred miles an hour man that ball's coming at you it's dipping it's curving it's falling off the table the spin is all over eli said he just whiffed at it couldn't even touch a jimmy yeah. connor service i can tell you this that uh it was one of the department stores that was closing and he had a sellout they're getting rid of all their stores and selling everything for you know pennies on a dollar and they promoted a match me against mickey lolich and, oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, hell, they sold out the place for and all the money went to charity, I hope. And uh, well, go, was, on, go, on, uh, go on, go on, go on, tell us who won, who won. Uh, I think Mickey won. Uh -huh. Oh, I know why I, I know why Mickey won, by the way, here, here. I had a I was a player. I, I could play tennis pretty well. And I had to have some handicap on my side. So ah. they made me wear a raincoat and boots, rubber boots. 
for rain, you know. Denny, Denny, do I dare ask? Do I dare, do I dare ask you if you were wearing anything under the raincoat? Oh, I was wearing plenty of. <laughs> <yes. laughs> all right, hold on here. Here, you want to hear some average Joe versus pro talk? I got a great story for you. So Go ahead, buddy. In 2015, I was working at a uh, a sports radio show, and we brought in from Allen Park a pitcher, a legend. His name is Stephen Farkas. Who? Only Ooh. the Wiffle Ball Player of the Year. This guy had just got done oh cleaning house with consecutive, consecutive, this is pro league, consecutive, back-to-back shutout complete games. He ended up being the MVP tournament of their whatever, he won the championship. So he came in to throw us a bunch of balls, you know, just so we can say, oh man, this guy from Allen Park throws a Wiffle Ball so hard. Mark Fellhauer goes up, strikes out. Drew Lane <laughs> strikes out. I walk up. And Drew Lane was a serious baseball player, by the way, at Virginia Tech. Go ahead. I had a home run. You, you did? I took the but National wiffle ball, wiffle with holes ball in it? Hall of Famer. I took him deep, Stephen Farkas. He still remembers well, it. You were, you were a good athlete in high school, too. Did, was it one of those wiffle balls no, with wasn't. holes in it or, or just a regular plastic? It was a wiffle ball, yeah. The wiffle ball with holes well, no, in it. No, there are two kinds of wiffle balls. Oh, I don't know. This is whatever the... Uh, the Do they have holes in it? There's a wiffle ball that has holes in it and then one that just looks like a baseball. I'm pretty on, confident Brandon. it had Help holes in this. it. I, Danny, did they have wiffle balls when you were a kid? Yeah, sure, of course. You played with those? I don't know why yeah. you're focusing on the ball. I hit a home run off the... All right, let's just move on, guys. You just No, but what kind of a ball was it? Did it have holes totally in it or not? crapping all over my athletic prowess. No, the problem run. is you were so high at the time, which is why you hit the home run. You can't even remember whether it had holes in it or not. Let's do the mailbag. Let's do that, Denny. You can tweet us. I can't, I, folks, I can't guarantee you Denny McLean is going to respond to you. But you still can tweet him at MU2Denny. I guarantee you, if you play nice, I will respond to you at Bob Page Sports. And Brandon has now sworn off, as Eli did, all contact on Twitter. So, transplanted true. Detroiter Dan Wolfman writes from Florida's Gulf Coast. Yes, Brandon, another Detroiter who had enough, and he's living on the Republican side of the state down quitter. here now. He's a quitter. <laughs> he'll get a kick out of this when he hears it so dan writes keep up the good work on the show guys i really enjoy it as controversy still surrounds the choice of native american names for sports teams the cleveland indians i want you to know took their nickname to honor one of their star players from the 1890s he was alex Sophalexis, a Penobscot Indian who was so respected that in 1914, one year after his death, Cleveland took the name Indians to commemorate Alex and what he meant to their team. Well, so keep nice. the name the Indians, Dan nice. adds. Very nice. Yeah, duh. Keep the name of the Indians. Yeah. It's ridiculous. His friend of the show, uh, Kurt Kosmowski, I'm going to spend a little time on this because I know a lot of people have some of the same questions he does. Friend of the show, Kurt Kosmowski writes, guys, the post-Eli shows have still been strong and enjoyable, and thanks for keeping it going. But the guest interviews were always great, and we miss those chats. You guys are super connected, so hoping guests can return soon on each show. Also miss Fred Human and Larry Sorensen. Hope to hear them again soon. Okay, so Kurt, Actually, we are no longer, quote, super connected. And this is the whole problem with getting guests on this show sometimes. Without Eli and with Danny not being able to get many guests anymore, it's kind of been incumbent on me to do a lot of the work. Brandon's been helping, doing what he can. And thanks to your mention of this, I went back over the last two years of this show 
this morning. I did this this morning, and I looked at our guest list. Denny got a few big names like Pete Rose, Wayne Fonts, Bobby Hull through his contacts, especially from Denny's appearances at card shows, right. where he you know he'd see these guys all the time. Now there ain't no more sports card shows due to the pandemic, so that's out. I was responsible, I noted, for getting about one third of the guests. But Eli Zaret still got more than half of the guests because he still lives in Detroit and he's in touch with a lot of ex-jocks. I have not lived in Michigan for more than 30 years now. So it's very difficult. I'm out of touch there. Now to your, and we, but we're trying, which believe me, we're going to keep trying uh, to get guests. Okay. Now to your other point, both Larry and Fred have agreed to come on as guests, frankly. This is a money thing. They were being paid as co-hosts by Eli. When Eli left the show, he took several sponsors with him. So the three of us are sitting here. We're just in a holding pattern in one sense, waiting to see if, as Denny thinks, Eli comes back to the show, maybe in another month, or if he does stay away, whether we can get enough sponsors to this show to keep us going here. So if you own a business and are a potential sponsor, or you know someone who'd like to be, why don't you just get in touch with us? One way to do that is through website submissions at nofiltersportspodcast.com or send us an email at asknofilter at gmail.com. Denny, I think this is a um, friend of yours, Mike, the former police officer in Naperville, Illinois. Yeah, uh, anyway, he's a cop, yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, maybe he's currently a police officer. I'm sorry yeah. if that's the case. Um, after watching the Wings get out, he writes, after watching the Wings get outplayed and worse yet, outcoached by the lowly Chicago Blackhawks, who remember were 0-3-1 going to last weekend, is it time Stevie Y pulls the plug on Jeff Blaschel and replaces him with a proven coach like former Red Wing Gerard Gallant? It appears the Wings have possibly quit on Blaschel based on their lackluster performance this past weekend. Tell you what, Mike. It's been time, buddy. It's been time. And you're asking a great question. Blash, how many times have I said this? He's a very sound hockey man, a good guy. He would make a tremendous assistant coach, as he has been. But I'm not sure Jeff Blashell could motivate a guy dying of starvation to eat a Big Mac placed in <laughs> front of him. I, I mean, he just seems so laid back. So we're talking about fear on the part of some coaches to motivate guys and get results. I was still in Detroit. I covered the Detroit Red Wings, the years under Jacques Demers. I saw how Jacques worked. I was in the Wings locker room. But Bob, the night hang on a minute here. Come on. Go ahead. I won't I uh, tell the story, but go ahead, Denny. It, but, but the thing about it is it's the players who decide the coach's future. Always has been, always will. And not always has been, but it is now because the inmates are running the asylum now. Well, th there's some truth to that too. But the the players themselves absolutely dictate because there's always an owner, always, not once in a while, always an owner or two that will have a player or two, like with Oakland, that he had two or three snitches on Oakland that they all were in his office all the time, trying to find out what was going on with the club on the road, off the road and what have you. Uh, and a lot of coaches, if not all of them do that, they wind up with a snitch on the team. So somebody can keep them involved right. okay. in what's going on. Okay. You're making a good point. And I think the point, if I, I don't want to put words and in players your mouth. resent it, Bob, that's right. my point. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the inference I would make from what you just said is that because Jeff Blaschel is such a nice guy, the players want him to stay. They want to keep Jeff Blaschel, well, yeah, and that's why so. he stays with the Wings. The only thing that I can kind of assume when I take a look at it is that Steve Eiserman understands 
that yes. in the NHL, a rebuild actually takes a little bit longer. It's not just yeah. like one of these NFL things where, hey, the next year, holy crap, we went from worst to first. It rarely happens in the NHL, especially... Good point. Good point. Uh, look uh, at Connor McDavid. What's he done for the Edmonton Oilers? Good point, Brandon. God, look at look what, look what 15 consecutive first-round picks did for the Edmonton Oilers. But what I mean is he, and by he I mean Steve Eisenman, has already kind of gone through this process with Tampa Bay. It took a little bit of time. He built the team he wanted to build, and then now they're flourishing. They just went to a Stanley Cup. They're you know they're the favorites to win another one this year, and I think that when he takes a look at what he's building, he realizes well Jeff Blashill isn't the problem right now. It's not this coach that isn't winning. It's the team that I have not yet to build, and so he's still working right. on that. And okay. I, I, I think that's why he's around okay, right okay. now. Okay, okay, okay. That's interesting. Uh, here's the point that I was going to make, Denny. I was in the Detroit Red Wings locker room in the mid-80s, the night when after a game, Jacques Demers sent Detroit native Lee Norwood down to the minor leagues. Why? Because Lee had made a defensive mistake that cost the Wings that game. Jacques let Lee know, whether this is right or wrong, that if you make mistakes that cost us, you're not going to play here. You're out of here. So he sent Lee out. And I don't see that with a personality like Jeff. And we I just see it with, I saw it with Okay, I saw it with Mike Keenan. I see it now with John Tortorella yeah. in Columbus. They will not tolerate failure. They will not tolerate losing and all I'm saying what's Jeff Blasso like? I'm not suggesting Jeff's a loser, believe me. I'm not suggesting he, you know he wants to tolerate losing, but I, I I need to see some fire here and believe and I was the first guy who said when Gallant got fired, when Spuddy got fired, Eiserman yeah. needs to get him. They're former wine mates in Detroit, I, for goodness sake. I Why isn't Gerard Gallant coaching this team? I see what you mean because I do see and I've never really been a huge fan of John Tortorella. I like that he that he pops off, that he speaks his mind. I like that about him, but I just haven't had any reason to really follow him or like him. But after seeing what happened in Columbus, where he's got this superstar, Deba, who uh, you know was not playing up to snuff, and so he benches his star center, and then traded him, and then trades him, and then you know, and what? got a great return in Patrick I think, he, I think he won that trade. But you're right, though; it it, it shows you that this coach means business. It, he doesn't care what's going on. Yes, he is going to punish you if you screw up. And I think that yep. yeah, maybe it wouldn't be nice to see some yeah. of the some of the Red Wings have their feet held to the fire. All right, and then so finally, the real guys for Go ahead, staying. No, they should have oh, fired him a year and a half ago, oh, okay. two years ago. They certainly should bring in Gerard Gallant, but I guess nobody else has hired him yet. I either, think you so got to give Stevie a year, year and a half with well, this coach. I'm not, yeah, I'm not. Hang on a minute. On. This is okay. This has got little to do with the coach, but it's his. It's Stevie's system, and when Stevie thinks the system is wrong, Stevie will do what's necessary. What you're right. That's what's going on. Okay, yeah. so finally in the mailbag, uh, here's Jimmy Lyons. We haven't, Jimmy, we haven't heard from you in a while, buddy. He says, fellas, I really have to compliment you on your last few shows in Eli Zaret's absence. Brandon McAfee brings a fresh angle to your topics. Obviously, Brandon does his research, and he has both barrels loaded to combat you, Bob. And although he loses, Jimmy, he loses when he tries to combat me. Brandon admits that. He knows that. And although Jimmy writes, and although Brandon could never replace Eli, he certainly has plenty to say and plenty to speak about. And he brings the much needed millennial takes into the Mitch, which only adds to your show. Thanks, Jimmy. We appreciate that. And we thanks to all broad of you for brush, everybody. We don't need to be calling people millennials. And these days, that's an insult in a lot of places. So <laughs> now let's get to our guests on today's program. 
a native of my hometown, where he still lives, Gross Point, Michigan. Tom Gage, born April 2nd, 19... Well, he won't mind if I tell you, 1948. Wrote for the Detroit News as a Tigers beat writer from 1979 to 2015. Tom Gage was awarded the J.G. Taylor Spink Award in 2015. He's now in the media wing of the Baseball Hall of Fame. After graduating from picturesque Washington and Lee in Virginia, Tom began his career in sports journalism at the Times-Picayune in New Orleans in the early 1970s before moving to the Detroit News in 1976. He spent 39 years on the sports staff at the News, 36 years as a Tigers beat writer until retiring from the paper in March of 2015. Tom still votes in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame elections each year. That's where we want to start with him today. Tom, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Thank you, Bob. I'm doing well. Good. So my former college classmate and your former colleague at the Detroit News, Lynn Henning, wrote in the paper Thursday this morning as we record this, that this year's Hall of Fame elections were, and I quote, tragic. Now, I don't like pay that much attention to what Lynn thinks about much of anything anymore, but I was curious as to what he meant by tragic. Your ex-paper now puts much of its articles, many of its articles, behind a paywall, so I didn't see what Lynn meant. Did you read that? And how, What do you think about that? the use of that term? What did he mean? Yes, I, I read it this morning, uh, Bob, and it, in fact, I was reading it shortly before you called. Lynn's views on the Hall of Fame and mine rarely have coincided, have, have agreed uh, over the years. He, he's always been in favor of more than 10 people on the ballot. And I, I think he's still in favor of more than 10 people on the ballot. Whereas I'm always a very, very tough voter. I've rarely voted for more than five. And I don't, I think this, uh, our disagreement will probably go on ad infinitum. I, we just don't see the same. We don't, we don't view the hall of fame in the same way. Why, why do you take exception with five versus 10? First of all, Danny, then they're not going to elect 10 every year. They're going to elect at most. I think the writers have been very generous in, in electing people in the last five or six years, 22 people. But I, I, you know, I, I view the hall of fame as difficult to get into. If you have people, if you're voting for 10, then you want 10 in. And I, I just don't think it should be open its doors. It, you know, it's it's the hall of excellence, not the hall of very good. But how do you how do you feel when you know the fans take a look at this and they see zero people going in this year? Do you think yeah. that's good for the fans of baseball? Do you think that's good for the product? Yes, it's good for the product because I don't mind a correction in the process once in a while. I there are many ways people are going to go in this year because of last year. And yeah. they're always going to be somebody who's going to go in because they have so many committees and so many eras now that they take people from. But I just don't think when there's a correction, when there's a year and it's the first time since 2013, I think it's a market correction, like a stock market correction. And I think it's if we don't have another one now for another eight years, that that. I think that's standard. I think that's acceptable, and it doesn't bother me. 
Well, I thought it was ridiculous, again, to get back to what Lynn wrote, using the term tragic to talk about this. Now, there's a guy, I think you probably know him. He's an author and statistician. His name is Ryan Spader. Because you guys, the writers, because your selections are so often criticized, he decided to do a poll of ex-players only. So as of Monday of this week, he'd gotten 76 guys to participate from people like Carlton Fisk and Larry Walker to the lesser lights. In his poll, only three candidates reached the 75% threshold for induction. And I want you to comment. Should Barry Bonds and Clemens be in the Hall of Fame? They made it in the players' poll, and Todd Helton did too. Did you vote for Bonds and Clemens? I did. They were the best players on the ballot. Yeah, they but were they- because they were drinking all that stuff. <laughs> That didn't bother well, you, Tom, that they cheated, that they cheated. You voted for him anyway. But the only thing is, Denny, you know, if baseball, I never voted for Bonds until he was offered a coaching job back into baseball and okay. a few years ago. And when, when baseball began to accept him back into the ranks of uniform personnel, I thought, who am I to keep him out? I'm not one of baseball's policemen. I'm not one of baseball's cops. And I, that's when I changed my vote. And I always thought that Clemens defended himself with such passion that I, I never penalized him. You knew something more than we did. Listen, uh, look into the future. What is going to be your position when it comes down to Houston, Berlander, and all those other guys on the Houston club? I don't know that yet. Okay. Because I have to examine it. I, I examine it from year to year. I don't... You know, I never viewed that with as much severity as other people. I think there's always been cheating in baseball uh, as far as as signs are concerned. I heard over the years as a beat writer how it was done and in what ballparks it was done. These guys got caught. And uh, it's to their shame that they everlasting shame that they got caught. But I just don't know how I'm going to penalize them. Give me an idea of what somebody told you how they were cheating, please. Just one instance. Comiskey Park, a, sign, a, a light on the scoreboard, old Comiskey Park. If the uh, White Sox hitters saw a, a light, it was a certain pitch. If they didn't see a light, it was not a certain pitch. Well, that's why Danny got and bombed it, there so much. <laughs> you heard that about Comiskey Park, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, hmm. we did. Did okay. you vote for Kurt Schilling, Tom? No, I didn't. Do you think that his extremist viewpoints kept him out of the Hall of Fame? And is that fair? Not off my ballot, but I, I do think it had enough effect and will from now on that he's been, now that he's asked off the ballot, I think he's probably uh, shot himself in the foot on that. But when you talk about Kurt Schilling, you're talking about, yes, postseason success, 11 postseason wins, four of those were in the division series, which I don't really uh count for much but i also think that 216 wins just it's not enough i mean mickey blowage won 217 you know you're talking about jerry kuzman you're talking about bartolo cologne you're talking about a a lot of people who either won that many games or exceeded that number of games and uh when you talk and and i always bring up people like jim cotton and tommy john Tommy John with 288 wins, and he's yep. on the outside looking in because yep. of his longevity. But I never penalize longevity. 
But going forward, we're going to see so many guys who are... I mean, I mean, look at Jake DeGrom, who's winning Cy Young Awards while only winning, you know, a couple games. And uh, pitching five innings. And that's another thing, is you also have managers who are pulling their pitchers and not letting them go out after the sixth inning, so that's going to affect wins. Somewhere down the line here, they're going to have to reduce the amount of wins that's necessary to get into the Hall of Fame, correct? Oh, I agree with that. I agree with that. Stats are changing every which way. You know, when, when you're talking about the defense of Schilling, you're talking about uh, war plus whatever whatever else stats you want to pull out of the out of the woodwork. And there are ways to defend. There are ways to defend it with new stats. I, yeah. I I guess I'm still just too much traditionalist. And I just to me, to, I mean, even though Catfish Hunter didn't win all that many games and a couple right. of others didn't, but I I just don't think 216 uh, is enough for my ballot. Well, I think one thing that's always uh, gotten my craw was the idea that these guys are now pitching five and six innings, getting a win, and make their numbers look glorious. And, and, and my point is we're giving nobody credit for complete games anymore because they don't throw them anymore. And that's where the value of a pitcher was. Well, Schilling won 20 games twice. Denny, you won 20 games three times. You know, it's it, they're they're just dim, different eras, and I just don't think we should get too lenient with with traditional stats. I don't think you were in the business yet when Koufax went in. How many games did he win? But I think you probably were when Drysdale went in with two hundred and seven career victories, if I'm not mistaken. Did you vote for Drysdale? I mean, should he not be in the Hall of Fame? On face value, with two hundred seven, probably not. But it depends on in. I suppose it depends on what is the time span in which he he did that. I mean, you're talking about, you know, Pedro Martinez I have no uh, argument with, and he didn't have that long a career. Right. Yeah. Well, well you know, Koufax, because I think he only won 160-some games. Yeah. But, I mean, come on, there's no Hall of Fame without Sandy Koufax in it. You know, um, you guys, as the baseball writers, you're ripped all the time by a lot of people. And Schilling said, well, these guys don't know what they're talking about. I don't want to be on the ballot next year. I want to wait for the Vets Committee. Here's another piece I bet you saw. This from Bob Nightingale this week in USA Today. He wrote, why I voted for Latroy Hawkins. And he says, the reason I voted into the Hall of Fame, a pitcher with a 75-94 and record and a 4.5 three one ERA and you know what Tom I stopped reading it I don't care why he voted for him but uh, how can you guys be taken seriously when people are voting for guys like this I didn't see the piece Bob why did he vote for him because I, I didn't even Bob, read it I don't want to hear about Nightingale's it Gail's opinion I didn't I didn't want to hear about it I don't want to hear about it guys oh, 75 yeah. and 94 yeah 4.31 and he votes yeah. him into the Hall of Fame no I, I'm, I I can't defend that I can't defend that let me ask you this. What about Jack Morris at an ERA of four and, uh, you know, that type That's of stuff? That's a good question. Danny, I voted for him because I saw the, I saw his career and looking at his, at most of his career, I thought it was a hall of fame career because of how tough he was. I, you know, I always thought of you as a so-called money pitcher. And I thought of Jack as a so-called money pitcher. When, when the times were tough, he was at his toughest. Sure. And, uh, yeah, there there are stats that with which you can uh, argue against his candidacy and and his election, but I still thought he was a Hall of Fame pitcher. How is Trammell in the Hall and not Lewis? Uh, 
friends on well i wouldn't say, i don't want to demean tram's election at all but he had he made more friends in baseball than lou did and mm. you know lou lou did doesn't care at all about his reputation you know i've written three books in my retirement and i pitched a fourth to lou whitaker and i thought with the idea that this would help his candidacy, Bob, sure. and he had, he wanted nothing to do with it. He doesn't care about his self-image at all, and I'm not sure he cares about the Hall of Fame. And Tram was just everybody's everybody's friend. And one of one of the problems with the Hall of Fame is you 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 might not make it with when 400 writers are voting, but when 16 of your former colleagues and baseball people are voting, you only need 12 votes. And, you know, it's it. I remember talking to Jack one time about you're not going to get in with the writers, Jack, but do you think you'll ever get in on a committee basis? And he says, I'll tell you that when I see who's on the committee. So it's it's a lot of I won't say politics, but it's a lot of social politics. I think I think Tram's election, though, absolutely stunned him. And I to this day, I'm not sure you can believe it. All right, I'm going to let you tell a story about you and I coming out of the commissioner's office, and you happened to be the little mouse on the elevator right behind me. And there's just you and I in the elevator. You sure that wasn't Jim Hawkins? No, it was you. (laughs) It wouldn't be the first time Denny's memory was faulty. (laughs) Denny's memory's not faulty. And it wouldn't be the first time I was called a mouse either. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't with denny when he was suspended from baseball coming down that elevator he was with denny when he went down the elevator yeah i might have, I might have been bob i might have been yeah, and, and then I we flew back some, to I tampa I, I learned some new words on that trip down but uh i don't uh, i don't remember much of the conversation denny you right. remember I, don't think I, I don't think i talked very much either Tom, I'm sure you've got a lot of uh, letters uh, uh, from kids throughout your entire uh, professional career. Mr. Gage, how do you get to be a sports writer? What do you tell kids? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, first of all, you got to want to be because I, I was, Bob, I was planning to be a lawyer and uh, I was going to go to law school. And I thought, no, I, you know, I'm not going to, if I go to law school, if I just go that route. I'm not going to end up doing what I want to do. I love sports. I love writing. You have to have a passion for it, for anything Mm -hmm. you do anyway. So my passion for writing and sports got me into it. And, uh, and then, you know, then you have to be, have to be in the right place at the right time, like anything Mm -hmm. else. You know, it's, it's like, depending on what team you end up with, you know, the white Sox are the white Sox are the tigers, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of it, it, there was a lot in your life, Denny, that that sure. was probably just fate. But yep. when I went came to the Detroit News after working in New Orleans, Dan Ewald was just leaving, and Dan could have had the Dan could have had the Tiger beat for several more years, but he was going to uh, he was going to Grand Rapids as a sports editor, and the job opened up, and that was 1976, and we we divided it three ways between myself, Mike O'Hara, and Doug Bradford, the the old bowling writer at the news. And Doug Bradford got the job for two years uh, because he wrote a better feature about on the bleachers than I did. I was more of a baseball-oriented person, and he was more of a feature-oriented person. So it was, it was only after Doug 
kind of bowed out of the beat that I got the job. And um, when I got the job, I always said I, 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 I ended up being what I was meant to be because, you know, I did play baseball games when I was little. I played all-star baseball. I played APBA baseball. And I always wrote stories <laughs> after my individual board games on the games that I had just played. So, you know, I did have a passion for it, and I was lucky in my timing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I made it through 36 years on the beat because the it just shows you how long the game didn't, the coverage didn't change. You know, I, finally, when we went from typewriters to computers and then social media took over, I began to lose a little bit of interest for it because the, the way you covered baseball was different. Yeah. And it wasn't so much on the phone and it wasn't so much talking to people individually as it was just through social media. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I feel sorry for the, the young sports writers that are coming along because they'll have to learn a whole different set of skills than I than faced me when I was coming along. Is the game today with the writers, are they doing their jobs more on perception rather than interviewing people? Uh, I think that's a good observation, Danny, because you don't have the access. Baseball's cut down on the, of course, with uh, the pandemic. It's yeah. changed the game tremendously because everything's a Zoom call. But I think they're right. I think there are players in the clubhouse who don't know the names of the writers anymore and don't need to know the names of the right. writers. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, the access when I was covering the Tigers and when, when you were a player as well, the, the writers were everywhere you guys went. We were on your buses. We were on your planes. We were in your hotels. And uh, we knew you guys and you knew us. And I, that's yep. just not the case anymore. I, I used to bust your chops about this. I don't know how you did it. I don't know how any of you guys did it. The sheer boredom of 162 baseball games. After most games, we all saw it. We all know what happened. Your Honor, I have no further questions. But you had to be down there anyway. Did, did you ever get bored? Oh, I'm sure I did. But the challenge to find what differentiated one game from the other sometimes was minute, sometimes was almost insignificant, Bob. But that was a challenge. I never... I got tired of baseball, but I never got challenged, tired of the challenge of finding what, what was different. With me, I was not a baseball junkie, so to speak. I, I was not a stats guy. I wanted to be the guy who wrote a story that you could pass around the breakfast table, and everybody at that table would be able to read the story. It was not sure. so much numbers. You know, Mitch Album once wrote, the minute you, be, you uh, start depending on too many numbers, you slow your story down. And I always wanted to be a fast read. I didn't want to be slow. I didn't want to be boring. So I stayed away from numbers as much as possible. And uh, I depended a lot on quotes and a lot on stories. And I just don't think writers today can do that because of the lack of access. Well, here's the thing about Album and about Joe Falls and Jerry Green, your former colleagues. They're columnists. They're drop-in guys. So if they write a column really ripping somebody, they ain't showing up in the clubhouse the next day because they're generally no, not there. You're right. You're a beat writer. You were a beat writer. Is there a fine line then that you have to walk not to piss off too many people because you got to face them? Yeah, there was. I mean, but 
you still, I mean, there, I got into my share of arguments with people. I mean, you know, and mostly with people who were just kind of fringe players, people who didn't want to see a negative stat in my stories. Sometimes I, the, uh, the disagreements just absolutely stunned me. The Tigers had a, an outfielder in the early 90s called Jerry Turner, and he was just a fringe player, and he was trying to hang on to his career. And he made an error in Seattle one night that he disagreed, and it was called an error by the official score, but it absolutely infuriated him during the game. And when I reported that it was an error in my story, he he got on my case in the in the dugout the next night <laughs> in the kingdom, and because he was trying to pr- protect his career, and that's that's the type of thing that I I sometimes ran into. And, uh, you know, there, there were other instances where, you know, wh- one of the great defender of his teammates was Kurt Gibson, Kurt Gibson, especially on his first tour of duty with the, with the Tigers was, uh, certainly could be a disagreeable guy, but it wasn't oh, yeah. so much in, in conversations with Kurt, he was a staunch defender of his teammates. And I remember one time Mick Kelleher was a great guy. And, but he made a mistake one day that, and I was in the clubhouse. He made an error one day, dropped a pop up, and I I remember being in the clubhouse, and I was, I guess my degree of questioning was too uh, too aggressive for Kirk, and he he was nearby, and he he got on my case because I was getting on one of his teammates. So that's the type of thing you had to watch out for as a beat writer, as opposed for a columnist. Whereas if a player disagreed with something, I remember. Joe Falls telling me that Rocky Calavito grabbed him uh, by the throat one one day. Right, you know, they columnists really had players that that they didn't like, and whereas very rarely did beat writers have enemies in the clubhouse. Yeah, I'm supposed to come in with the joke now uh, and say uh, Calavito didn't go far enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's sure, Denny, that you had big disagreements with uh, certain certain columnists or certain writers. Yeah. You know, my, my predecessor by two or three of the news, Watson Spolzer wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to get along oh, with. Boy, and I, don't make I heard me there go were there. a lot of problems with him. Yeah. Oh boy. He was tough. He was yeah. really, really tough. <laughs> hey Tom, um, what do you think about the current Detroit Tigers? Uh, has Al Avila done a good job? How far is this ball club away from being any kind of contender. And don't make me laugh. I think Tom. they're a long way, f- Bob. I, unfortunately, I think they're a long way from being a contender. And I think Al has, as a general manager with his hands tied by the lack of financial commitment and by the lack of, I don't know what else is, I mean, I, I just think his approach is, has to be very narrow. And I don't think the Tigers are going to contend this year. I don't see a lineup that will contend anytime soon. And I think it's a sad time for the Tigers, but you know, Chris Illich. I what don't do you, know Chris Illich, Tommy. But, but Tommy, I, what do you think yep. they're? What do you think they're doing, Tommy? Well, I I just don't think they're playing the game that other teams are playing. Every yeah. year, you they look for the bargain. They're just in the starting blocks with their rebuilding, and I don't think they've gotten out of the starting blocks. I agree. And uh, I think it has to be two thousand and four again. Where the, you know they're adding a, a pudge and a, and a maglio the next year, they have to set their sights a little higher. Yep, and they have I to agree. open up the pocketbook again. They really do. Yep. Well, last one from me, Tom, for you. Uh, this is what Denny has said about that. He believes the reason they aren't spending money is because the Illiches are preparing the Detroit Tigers to be sold. 
I'm not sure that they're preparing for that, but they do. I think in their subconscious that they, they think it, they want to make it sellable. They don't want to make it, they might not be actively have it on the market. I see. But they want to make it attractive to a, a potential buyer if one comes along. I don't know that one has come along yet, but the, you know, it's, it's, it's like a condo that you want to keep under the market price. You know, yeah. if you make it too expensive, it won't sell. Well, Tommy, this has been a ton of fun. Thank you very much. You sound great. I'm doing well, Danny. I miss being productive, but, uh, I still like talking baseball. I still like talking yep. the craft of writing baseball. Yep. And, uh, I'm still the chairman of the Detroit baseball writers and that, that actually uh, enough uh, proximity to the game right now. Good for you. Thank you very much. Me too, okay. Adina, Tommy. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks, Tom. And thank all you guys for joining us on this latest edition, No Filter Sports Podcast. Have a great weekend. We'll see you have Monday. A, have a great weekend and stay safe, please.